hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be talking about the Thunder's latest signings. We have one in the front office and one in the coaching department. I'm going to be talking about the machine gun as he is nicknamed Chip England. His shooting resume, how he can improve the Thunder roster, and some of the players on this team that I think would benefit the most from Chip being added, in addition to those looking to find a role on this team and how Chip could help them by improving their shooting form. Also want to talk about Vince Rosman. He's coming over from the Philadelphia 76ers organization. He'll be filling in in a very high front office role, so I'll be giving a little background on him and what his addition could mean for the future of this franchise. Also, going to give you guys a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook as well, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, with the Thunder's new hires. It has been a second on the pod. We got a new batch of news from the Thunder side of things. And it comes with the Thunder signing Chip England and Vince Rosman to contracts. And this isn't a player-related deal. You know, a lot of transactions we've seen from OKC either go unreported or they're like Exhibit 10 deals. We've seen a couple of those get shuffled out thus far. And I'll be talking more about one of their recent Exhibit 10 signings in a future pod. But... That's what we've seen. We haven't heard much on the front of front office. Normally, whenever those deals go down, it's not reported. You don't see Shams. You don't see Woj really care because a lot of times you see front office shifts happen, uh, but it's just not of as substantial nature as some of the ones we saw this week. And both of them end up going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we're going to start with Chip England, who probably has one of the coolest nicknames maybe of all time, it is the machine gun, and it is because he is one of the best shooting coaches basically around, and he has a long tenure in the league, in particular with the San Antonio Spurs. He was with the Spurs since July of 2005, and he came in, and basically, he was just the shot doctor. If you were looking to improve from distance, Chip was the guy that you were going to call upon. When you look at the Spurs and kind of, you know, the different players that they brought in through the years, there have been a lot of kind of developmental projects, not in some facets of the game, but from distance. You talk about guys like Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green. Like, they saw big improvement with the Spurs under the guidance of Chip. And there was a really good uh, tweet. I'm going to have to find it. I believe it was from the flare screen over on Twitter. He ended up showing kind of like a chart on some of the improvements that Chip ended up making on this roster. And I highly suggest that he is at the flare screen. But you look at the charts. Kawhi Leonard out of San Diego State. He was not a sharpshooter. You know, when you're you're talking about sharpshooters out of San Diego State, you're thinking of guys like Jamal Franklin. You're not thinking of guys like Kawhi Leonard. That's just how it is. But Kawhi had the defensive ability. His shot was not pretty. 25% from distance in college. And if you look at his form, I mean, it was ugly. We're talking, 
He's got the ball like right above his head. It looks like he's almost balancing it like it's a beach ball or something. And um, it was just, it was not technically sound whatsoever. So over the years, you saw Kawhi kind of improve upon that jump shot. And you never know that his jumper was mechanically disgusting whenever he first entered the league. And with the Spurs shooting 39% from distance on catch and shoot threes, he was shooting in the 40s from distance. So he was absolutely killing it. And when you go into other projects outside of Kawhi Leonard, someone like Patty Mills might seem insignificant, but you know, once he moved on from Portland, goes to San Antonio, then he becomes that 40% shooter, becomes a pivotal piece in their championship runs. And, you know, if he was playing in Portland, kept those numbers, maybe you're not talking about the same type of contributor. You're looking at another backup point guard. Keldon Johnson is another one where when you look at the numbers here, it's only a plus two based on his stats, but you know, you're obviously getting a little bit out there. This guy's shooting 40% from deep. If you look at the Thunder's stats, and I will go into that in one second, I mean, you don't have many 40% shooters on this roster anymore from deep. Who do you have? Mike Muscala? I mean, he didn't have a high amount of reps. I'm going to give it to him because the last two seasons, he has been a really good sharpshooter, uh, but guys like Roby, you know, he's now with San Antonio. The irony there is kind of golden, um, but others too, they're just not around. I think their their next best three-point shooter is actually Lindy Waters, and he shot about 36% from distance, so there's a stark decline um, between members of this Thunder team and how they shoot from deep, so if there's any team that needs help, it is most definitely Oklahoma City, and you can talk about these set examples, guys like Kawhi, Patty Mills, DeJounte Murray is one of them listed on here, and these are all great examples, um, but you got to look at kind of the Thunder's blueprint and the different types of pieces that they also have on the roster. Who's going to greatly benefit from the addition of Chip here? Clearly, everybody is. He was around with the Spurs since 05. I mean, Popovich... You know, he's going to try to keep that course, like, strong. They couldn't get a contract extension in line. Presti swoops in. Presti used to work in the Spurs front office years ago, so you have a tie there. And even Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr was actually trained, I believe, by Chip at some point. So he wanted him with the Warriors. So he chose the Thunder over the Warriors. Think about that. That is remarkable. Right there, kind of the reverse KD situation, if you will. But, you know, he's going to be in a really good spot in Bricktown. And when you're looking at just the different pieces of the puzzle available, I'm sure that he is just drooling at the type of potential that he could tap out of some of these prospects if they are able to improve drastically when it comes from the three-point line. And I want to go into those different types of players, going to rank my top tiers, if you will, of who I think will benefit the most from Chip being added to this roster, both in the long term and in the now. And then I also want to talk about Vince Rosman to top it all off. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. 
Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing on with Chip England. This is big time. I mean, whenever this news uh, came out, I believe Woj was the one that broke it, the Twitter feed was just flooded with how amazing Chip was going to be to this team. And honestly, if you didn't even know who Chip was and you just heard he's a renowned shooting coach, that's all you need to hear because OKC has desperately needed some help in the shooting department. This isn't coming out of, uh, you know, right field, right? Like this is something that I think all of us have kind of known and it's been here since the rebuild started when you start to see them kind of trade away some of their pieces the Chris Pauls of the world you started to see just a lot of potential and kind of some shaky outputs from distance and the crazy thing was OKC actually kind of put some gas on to close the year they were shooting 40% from distance in some of their closing games but obviously those are the insignificant ones those are the ones where you're seeing Frank Jackson and Braxton Key dominate in the Paycom Center. I believe both those guys are awesome. I'm a big fan of Braxton Key and Frank Jackson. I hope he remains in the NBA level, but you get what I mean. Like, it's not a playoff type of atmosphere. When the Thunder were looking to actively win games at the beginning of the season, it was rather inconsistent, and it's just been sort of a constant pattern there. And the one stat I always go back to, when you look at tracking data from the catch-and-shoot element here this is I'd say the most important stat to look at for the Thunder because of how this team is constructed SGA leads the NBA and drives the last two years Josh Giddy won the highest in his rookie class and it's only going to get higher as we move on to year two I mean it's going to be a lot of five out it's going to be a lot of high ball screens with Chet and it's going to be a lot of collapses to the basket because OKC is really good at slashing but they just don't have efficient enough shooters And as I said, ranked 269 out of 270 in that catch and shoot range. And the one team that has done better or has done worse, excuse me, was back in 2013 and 2014. One of the first years they started tracking this and it was the Josh Smith led Detroit Pistons. They shot way less attempts than the Thunder. It was almost sliced in half, yet I think they were only a tenth worse. So OKC, I mean, they have been struggling there. And there are a lot of different players that, you know, with just a 3 4 5% increase are going to be completely different players. And it's going to change, you know, how teams are going to have to defend. If you're matched up against somebody that's shooting 20 9, 30, 31% from distance. Scouting report says, hey, you're collapsing on SGA every time. You're going to go in on Giddy every time. 
Don't let Chet Holmgren pop from the top of the key. If Darius Baisley's out of the corner, you're letting Darius Baisley shoot the basketball every time. And that's what happened last year. When you talk about December, even into January, why was Baisley put on the bench? It's because he was wide open in the corner and he just wasn't consistent. You know, that's that's not something that's only been on base, but that is the primary reason why we saw his minutes decrease. It's because he couldn't shoot the three ball. And that's been the case with many different people. So I ended up categorizing this in two different sections uh, in long term and kind of a role standpoint, who I think is going to benefit the most. And no surprise, you're looking at number one here. It's going to be Josh Giddy. And with Josh, I think it, it kind of writes itself, right? Like last season, he was selected sort of knowing that he might not be the biggest sharpshooter, the playmaking looked off the charts. Defensively, you were thinking he'd be solid. Rebounding wise was a, a big positive, but you drafted him with playmaking ahead of all else. You know, let everything kind of fall into place, but you knew he's a six foot eight playmaker, and those are very difficult to come by. Smashed it out of the park. I mean, he should have been in in the. Um, the voting for first team. I think if I had the ballot, it would have been tight. I might have had him fifth or sixth. It's kind of up in the air. But, yeah, I mean, he was he was elite for a rookie. The one area where he did sort of falter was the three-pointer. And, as I mentioned, that is to be expected. He shot 26.3% from deep, about four attempts per game. At the foul line, shot 71%. So, that's not all that bad. But... You want to get the three-point department up, and it's because, you know, if you're running your traditional offense now, Josh Giddy, he's at the forefront. SGA is as well. Chet Holmgren is too. You need to have one of Giddy or SGA just being a lethal guy off the catch, and Trey Mann is uh, someone that's get, kind of getting swept under the rug now, and he should not be. Not only was he one of the best three-point shooters for the Thunder off the dribble, but on catch-and-shoot attempts, too, he was very good. It's hard to find prospects like that after just a rookie season. So he's sort of that glue that I think will help things out. But in general, if you're going to have two major ball handlers, one of them has to be able to shoot the basketball. And I'd say out of the two, Josh Giddy probably needs more of the improvement. When you're looking at his release, it's not terrible. You know, could it be a bit more fluid, a little faster? Of course, of course it could. But just having that trajectory moved up a little bit. There's already so many advantages that come with being 6'8 and being a ball handler. Prestes mentioned this in his presser, his last one, I believe, on draft day. Height buys you time. And it buys you time defensively, deflecting passes, being able to see over your defender and passing lanes, throw cross-court passes. And Josh Giddy has that down with T. But one of the things that's going to put a bow on it is being able to shoot the ball. Are we going to go in this expecting he's going to be a 35, 38% three-point shooter next year? Absolutely not. You know, the the stats tell you that shooting 35% from deep is very good for this Thunder squad. Most of the guys that shot above 35% from deep last year are not on the team. And there is... There is a, a kind of an asterisk here. Guys like Jalen Horde, Olivier Saar, Gabriel Deck. I mean, they didn't play too often. Maybe Saar. I think you could throw him a bone. But 
A lot of those guys didn't play often. Anyways, though, a guy like Kenrich Williams, Lou Dort, they weren't shooting particularly well from three. 35% puts you in the upper echelon. So just getting him up a couple percentage points in the next season is going to be big time. And the same goes for SGA as well. SGA had a down year from three. It's, you know, it's, it is what it is, right? He was still very good off the catch. He did not have as many reps there compared to years prior, but on the ball, he was not as consistent. He was really hellbent almost on penetrating the basket. And based on numbers, like that's not a bad move for him because he's just so efficient inside. And if he's not making a layup, it's going to be a sweltering contest where a whistle could be called basically every time. So it's efficient for him to just penetrate at will. But if you remove him from that situation, you put the ball in Josh Giddy's hands, Trey Mann's hands, anybody else's hands, he needs to be able to kind of reinvigorate that catch-and-shoot ability. On the ball, too, obviously, right? But I think the big thing you need to hone in on, on is just solidifying guys that can play off the catch. And you need that with uh, the the kind of guard play that the OKC Thunder are crafting here. You, you can't really live with too many non-shooters when a lot of this will be isolation play for the, the next coming years, really. And going beyond that, I want to talk about somebody who I don't want to say has also been swept under the rug, but... I mean, we can't forget about Usman Jang, man. Like, he was the 11th pick. You traded three firsts to get him. Just a ball of potential. And I said this on Twitter. I'll say it here again. I, I believe I did a couple pods ago. But I, I do think that Usman, in addition to Veet, will be with the OKC Blue probably to start the season. First week of November. So I could see them being there for about like three to four weeks. Uh, just to give them more reps to shoot the basketball, but also beyond ball, because once you're kind of thrown into the NBA rotation, a guy like Jang's not going to be utilized to the best of his abilities immediately, because there are a lot of guys that can handle the basketball. They're going to manage it well, obviously. They're going to play him in a secondary role where it's going to work, but ideally you don't want him stuck up in a corner. If you're going to do that, put him in the G League for a little bit. Let him practice there. He needs that practice, though. He was not a very good shooter. And in the NBL last season, he did have a hot streak with the Breakers, but for most of the year, he was shooting in the 20s from distance. And that is clearly a point of improvement. When you watch the Summer League games, Usman was not talked about until Josh Giddy was removed. And I think that has a real, real thing to it, right? Like, let's not downplay that. It's because the role changed. When Usman was stuck in the corner, he's not used to that. He's used to being the one past, getting it past the timeline and creating plays. He's very good off of pick and roll and making those decisions. But when you stick him to that corner and you give him the basketball when there's seven seconds left, well, he's just going to shoot it and he's not going to be that efficient. You can't blame him for how he performed prior to him not playing on ball because that's just something he's not used to once he was able to play in his role he was entirely different he looked like a lottery pick he was making moves around the basket that we just hadn't seen before he was comfortable and that's why you got to build it up in the g but 
long-term, Usman needs to be that type of shooter because you do not want somebody who's really good at ball handling but is going to have to stick in that corner. And now you're talking about lineups where, you know, potentially you want to throw him alongside Giddy and SGA. If they can all three shoot, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but just having them being serviceable, it's not about being the 40% shooter. You can find some of those. But being able to source guys that are in the mid-30s, that is a major win for this Thunder team. Same goes with Lou Dort. He shot, in I think, 33% from distance this past season. Improvements from him from his rookie year. You know, you didn't really see him shoot three-pointers much at all. You know, he was getting the Andre Roberson treatment in the first-round battle against the Rockets, and he ends up going... 7 of 14 almost stole the game away to move him into the second round. So he he has a story right there, but if he's able to continue to grow, I mean that is a 3 and D solidified player. And I think he already is. I think he's already shown that he is that multi-positional defender. He wants to play that top guy on the other team. But if you're able to get him back to where he was maybe in the early portions of this year and then I think even last year he was kind of hot to begin things that's where you you would like to start and I'm gonna flip the script here because I think those four names aren't hot takes I think we've heard that a lot those are clearly the guys that benefit the most but what about the players that they need this now and I think it's actually increased their overall value for this team Guys like Giddy, SGA, Jang, Dort, independently, they all have insane value. Some of the other guys on this Thunder roster have value, but it is based on the idea of potential. What's their ceiling going to be? These guys are on their rookie contracts. We don't want them hitting the floor. Where can we continue to go? And Chip is going to help in the big area, which is the three ball. I list out five guys that I think are going to get better attention, and I'd say better stock value on this roster based on Chip being added into the discussion. And the first one for me might be surprising. It's Teo Maladon. Teo is in the thick of cutting territory, and it's going to be a lot of players. I, I think that you know we're kind of isolating it to, or in general, people are isolating it to maybe a three- or four-man race. It could grow beyond that, but Teo's in that group where he's he's in the thick of it with guys like Vic Krejci and Ty Jerome. Teo looks like a good ball handler. He was a good ball handler as a rookie, and he was making really skilled plays. He's 6'5", so he isn't locked to the one necessarily, but the way that he plays off the ball almost restricts him to playing just there. And the crazy thing is, is when he was playing with the OKC Blue, he didn't look like that. We, we You kind of get those outputs where someone goes to the G League for a little bit, knock it out of the park, and you're like, well, dang, how are we able to fit this guy back in the rotation? That's sort of what happened to Teo. And if you are able to bring him back in, he's able to get some of those shooting reps in. Gary has that confidence in him that, hey, Teo's not going to be shooting. 29% from three next year. He's going to be back to shooting 32%, maybe 34%. If you 
trust him in this area, I think that makes his value significantly higher than some of the other guys on this cutting bubble. Because you got to remember, Teo's only 21 years old. And he still has, I think, another year left after this if they want to guarantee him for the upcoming season. Someone like Ty Jerome is going into his fourth year. His qualifying offer is going to be pretty high up there. I think it's like $8.6 million or something. And even though I think he has the higher floor, and he still is going to get a lot of added value with Gary because Ty has sort of shown to be a shooter already, there's a four-year difference. And Teo sort of fits like the hectic movement of this team, if you will. I think the, the better low maintenance guy I, I love using that that's the buzzword i'm using for this competition but the more low maintenance guys ties Rome. but if you're looking for the home run swings it's teo and with a shot he's going to be back to a level where you might see his efficiency go back up to where it should be going past that though is another guy who is rather inefficient and it's darius Baisley. Baisley shot below 30 percent from three last year and it's kind of been the one plaguing aspect of his game. He was a good shooter as a rookie. Not as many attempts, of course, but 35% from three. I remember in the bubble, he was dominant. We saw shades of what he could become. Hitting three-pointers at the wing. Whenever someone collapses, he's you know driving right around him, making plays, even kicking it out sometimes with some dump-off passes. Once teams saw that three-point percentage go down and they got more comfortable kind of sagging off, you started to see Baze's options get a little bit more limited. Not as many cards are in the deck for him, and you really can't shuffle things up because you're left with a wide-open three. That's a shot you need to be taking. Shot 29% from distance last year, shot over five attempts per game. And then this year, shoots 29.7% from distance four attempts per game solid passer and he's still solid getting rebounds even in the blocking department I think he's really made some strides on defense but there is a lot more competition now for Bays, Poku everybody in the front court because you have true centers and you started bringing in some other guys such as Usman that will kind of push the bill a little bit in the upwards direction positionally we'll see threes uh, maybe fighting for some of those minutes so a guy like Bays, a guy like poku they need to separate themselves and the way they do that is being efficient the thunder at some point are going to kick into that next gear where they're still going to be going for projects they have all the picks in the world and as you'll see the the rosman signing signals towards continuous player development but you need to have consistent players around your stars when it comes playoff time. And Darius Baisley defensively has been, but from three, he he just has not. He's had a really good game, and then he drops off for a couple games. Really good game again, and it just cycles. I think one good game for every two bad ones, and that's not the ideal target mark, obviously. So Bays might be number one when you're taking into account maybe the role. But I think Teo is actually fighting for a roster spot, which has a major, major sway in how I'm kind of grading things. And right behind Bayes, you have Alexei Pokushevsky. 
another one of those players where the shot is just rather inconsistent, but when he's on, I mean, he is on, dude. Like, <laughs> he is a special player when he's in the zone. Shooting seven for seven from distance. Could be dunking on people if he'd so choose. Like, he has a, a very unique frame as a prospect. But you do see a little bit too much inconsistency as well. Career, 28.5% from downtown. His jump shot release is beautiful. Now, is it a bit of a push forwards? Absolutely. I think you could maybe touch up on that. But in terms of release speed for a 7-footer, you're not going to get much better than Alexei Pogoshevsky. He didn't shoot crazy good from the foul line. Low 70s in his career. But that three ball, in particular, the wings. I think the left wing might be his most attempted shot. Keep that added in his arsenal, improve upon it, and then you get to talking. He's a raw player still. I think that there have been improvements, and a lot of it is credited towards the G League. He needed to play with the OKC Blue as a rookie. He wasn't shooting well from three, had a couple good games, but then he got to play with the Blue where he had a larger role. Last year, needed some improvement. Put him back down with the G League. Was he dropping 30 points in games? No. But he was getting back in rhythm. Kind of reasserting himself and, and what he needs to be as a player. He returns. Really good player again. And the numbers back that up. You know, you compare pre-blue dates to post-blue dates. It's night and day. So, you know, when, when he gets an extensive look and with someone who's the best in the business, such as Chip, joining that's going to give a big improvement uh, to where he could be uh, in the next couple of years you know he's going to be going into his third season next year so you got two more left in the tank before that qualifying offer kicks in it's pretty good you still got time and you'd still have room in the growth plates for him he's still 20 years old so you got to keep that in mind another player still young Uzman already mentioned it. I had him three on the long term. I have him four year. I just think, you know, he needs to, just like the other guys in Bays and Poku, assert himself. You need to make a case to get minutes in the three and four positions right now because it is so cluttered. It didn't used to be this way. And because of Chet and because of Jay Will, they get tacked on. It changes the dynamics. Usman still is sort of in the hunt for, I think, rotational minutes. And we need to see kind of how training camp goes. That's the ultimate dictator. If he's a dominant force in training camp, I think you can throw some of my takes in the garbage, right? But what we know right now and what we saw from Summer League, I think it does project towards him maybe needing a more extensive look to hone in on some areas. And... If he's going to be that all-around player, you do need that three ball. Vic Kredci, I sort of have him in here too, um, just for the sole fact that he has looked like a good shooter. He looked like that to close the year. Summer League, he was all right. If he's able to kind of etch that into stone, that he's a reliable enough catch-and-shoot player, 
that makes him a respectful guy. You can plug him in the rotation. I think even right now, he might be one of the more consistent players. I'd say Aaron Wiggins is the most consistent bench guy outside of like Kenrich Williams that we're talking about in the wing spots. Uh, but Veet, he's kind of growing on me in that area because he always plugs in, has some smart passes, solid finisher, and he's able to hit the three ball. And out of Zaragoza, he had a good three-point percentage, I believe. But because of the injury, it was such a small sample size, you really couldn't make much out of it. He's just blossoming. And I think that that is going to... I mean, his trajectory is already going up. That's only going to improve it tenfold and make him a hard guy to ultimately cut on your team. Want to wrap things up, though, with the other signing by the OKC Thunder. I know I'm talking a lot about Chip, but you cannot leave out Vince Rosman. When you look at the Thunder uh, and kind of how they're constructed, you look at the front office. Um, if you look at the media guide, per, like I think there's about five or six names that you will see in terms of like the head scouting departments. And while the wording was a bit weird, I don't think I've ever heard of... Um, VP of Identification and Intelligence, I think that means he's just going to be like at, at the top. So he's in he's in good hands there. 15 plus years with the Philadelphia 76ers. I was reading up on it. He basically started out as like an intern with the 76ers. And there's a quote where, you know, he's filling out, he's filling fridges. He's getting credentials for scouts. Almost seems like he's like in the communications department or whatever. And... He was able to work his, himself into the front office, was in the thick of it during the process, stayed through the storm of that thing, and got out of it with a really good deal with the Thunder where he's probably going to be one of the higher paid guys in the front office, number one, but you are in, I think, the best situation uh, from a drafting perspective than any other team has, and I don't know if it's really close. Just based on the draft equity, they're able to acquire pieces that other teams simply cannot afford to trade up for who's trading three picks to go to Usman Jang at 11 I don't think anybody but the Thunder have so many picks they're able to do that so if their scouting department sees somebody and they're like oh this is a generational talent that we can find at pick 10 they're able to trade four first round picks and get the guy like they have so much more ammo than anybody else and it makes it such a sweet fit uh, for, you know, these these high-tier front office guys, these scouts, best in the business. They want to come to Oklahoma City, and I think it speaks volumes. Not only you were able to acquire Chip, but you're able to acquire another guy in Vince, who you're hearing from uh, Sam Hinkie should be a future GM in the league. Sam Hinkie, you know, he got a lot of dirt for the process situation, got them a lot of high draft picks. They didn't land all of them, obviously, but they landed some in the top where they needed to be. Um, you know, he's getting the recommendation from him. I say it's a good thing because, you know, that was a time where they were looking everywhere for players. KJ McDaniels is getting big time minutes. You know, other other guys are coming out of nowhere from like the G League to play. Christian Wood gets panned as a little bit of a gym there. There are multiple different guys where their careers got kickstarted because of the process. 
Robert Covington, TJ McConnell. I think that's some maybe some of the bigger names you could find in that undrafted area. But yeah, like that was a successful stride in terms of player development. I think that's one of the things that sort of shaped uh, how some teams go about things now, including Oklahoma City and some other teams where you're seeing a lot of players resting at the back end of things, trying to get more ping pong balls and they reform the lottery. So stuff like this doesn't happen, of course, but you know, teams want to have these young, talented players and guys like Vince, who's been with a Philly organization that was just always at the top of the board over and over, you know, it's going to be a good pickup. So we'll see how that one all forms out. I, I wish I could do the same thing where I sort of rank things in terms of who does Vince compliment the most in terms of this roster. I don't know if you can really do that because there's not like a set trait. Uh, but, you know, when you're talking what they still need to continue to build upon, I think they made a really good draft selection in Jalen Williams um, out of Santa Clara. And I was strong about that the whole process. I don't think there was anybody uh, really saying they wanted Jalen Williams at 12. I did. So I'm, I'm going to keep that around. You guys are going to continue to hear that. And... That's just how it's going to go. But, um, yeah, he's the perfect catch-and-shoot option. He's looking really good off um, you know, off cuts as well. Still want to find more players who can play off the catch, though. And as crazy as it is, I know I talked earlier in this pod about guys like Alexei Pokashevsky, Darius Baisley, fighting for power forward minutes. There's a really good power forward. You know, you take a look at him. And it's at this point where the Thunder, they're going to continue to bring in these really talented prospects, and it's just going to be overlap on positions. Someone like Teo Maladon would probably be playing with like the Washington Wizards. You put him on that team, they need a point guard. He's a young point guard. He would have been playing 16 minutes per game last year, every single night. But because he was with the OKC Thunder and there were a lot of different players, he didn't get time. Now you had Jalen Williams... Adds a bit of a restriction at the two. Might slide some guys down. Like, you already saw some of the tiny waves of that. I think Isaiah Roby's another one, too, where his impact was kind of felt. That's it. Isaiah Roby's an NBA player, and it was shown by, you know, his waiver claim being picked up. But they just didn't have minutes. And that's a constant battle that these guys will need to pick apart. That's why you bring in a lot of guys that are able to not just structure for a draft-by-draft scenario, but how are we going to offload these picks in the most efficient manner? Because there's no way they're using all these draft picks. It's just not possible. Especially second-rounders, those are going to be kind of throw-ins. How many of these picks are we kind of splashing the pot with for a star? And how many are we maybe setting aside to draft? Or make a package to trade up in a draft. Stuff like that. Like, you need to have that sort of vision. And obviously, it constantly changes. Someone like J-Dub was not on a lottery radar in the calendar year to start things out. Not even a first-round pick by basically every single count. Gets picked at 12. Like, there are always storylines that build with these drafts and the trade market. But just having things at the ready and having as many people in this department... It's going to be big. I saw another thing on Twitter where they're adding international scouts as well. I don't have the name right now on me, but they're adding to the staff. So they have fully committed to scouting. They've done that the last two seasons, but they're going to continue to 
try to make this the best long-term long-term team before you know going in there getting these trades done and transitioning from a rebuilding team on the rise to a really young playoff team which is going to be absolutely special for this franchise so that's going to be very exciting going to be very exciting to see Chet Holmgren out in the Pro-Am circuit today Paulo Bancaro also in that one I'll get you guys up to date on that also going to be talking about some other members of the Thunder organization past and present in the next podcast but I really appreciate you guys listening to this one and I'll talk to you all next time see ya